A while ago, I think about 15 years ago or so, a rancher from Powder Bluff, Colorado, got quite the surprising mail delivery. See, his subscription to National Geographic magazine had recently expired, and the computer at National Geographic headquarters that sends out notifications and notices to their customers ended up malfunctioning. And this poor rancher in Colorado ended up receiving 9,734 separate mailings informing him that his magazine subscription had expired. Can you even imagine that? (laughs) And you thought you got a lot of junk mail. (laughs) Anyway, this man got all these notices and immediately set off for the nearest post office, which was about 10 miles away, and he sent in the money that was needed for renewal along with a note. And the note said, I give up, send me your magazine. (laughs) Overwhelmingly annoying as this notification must have been for the rancher, I think this story teaches us something important. It's a very valuable lesson about prayer. It can show the importance of relentless, determined, tireless, continual, persistent prayer in our lives. The magazine's persistence, unintentional as it may have been, sure got this guy's attention, and it moved him to action. Likewise, our persistent prayers get God's attention, and they move God to action. The analogy will, of course, break down at some point, but this much is true. Our persistent prayer gets God's attention, and it moves him to action. I'm going to see this today from what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me there now to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 877. Luke chapter 18, we're starting right at the beginning of the chapter today, so it's easy to find. Now the reason I always ask you to turn to these passages with me is because I want you to see these things for yourselves. Okay? I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. Okay, So open up with me there, and we're going to pray as we start, though, because we're going to talk a lot about prayer today, so we better start by praying, right? <laughs> Let's go ahead. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we come to worship you together. Thank you for this body of believers where we can sing your praise and, and pray and worship you with all our hearts. We pray that as we look into your word, that we would continue to worship, that we would see what you have for us, and that we would obey what you say. Help us to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you weren't with us last week, Jesus spent like the last half of chapter 17 talking about his return. So how one day after he suffered and died to procure our salvation, and after he left earth to go home to heaven, he would return to earth as a conquering king, like lightning, it says, suddenly and visibly and powerfully, universally revealed in glory. It will be an amazing day, and he'll permanently establish his eternal kingdom then. So we saw how ready we have to be for that return. But, Jesus said, until that day happened, his followers would long for deliverance. They'd long to see that day come and and pray for his deliverance. Because life on this sin-stained earth 
can be very, very hard. As many of you can attest to. I think recognizing that life would be difficult is what moved Jesus then to talk about prayer. So to do so, he told his disciples another parable. We've seen lots of parables in Luke. The parables, it was a short, proverbial story that makes a very powerful spiritual point. But this parable is different than most. See, most parables had a somewhat hidden meaning, right? And usually Jesus would tell a parable and he'd leave his disciples scratching their heads like, okay, Jesus, what does that mean? We don't get it. And and we can identify often with how the disciples felt because they can be mysterious or confusing or ambiguous. We don't know exactly what they're talking about at times. With this parable, there is no such mystery. Why not? Because Luke tells us the entire point of the parable in the very first verse of chapter 18. Hey, he, because, by the way, this makes my job as a preacher very easy. <laughs> if only every story in the Bible had a one-verse introduction like this. Read with me in verse 1. It says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Okay? So much for any surprises later on. This is what the parable intends to tell us. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, if you don't know what it means to pray, prayer is simply, most simply, communication with God. Okay, It's it's us talking to him, conversing with him, communing with him, praising him, thanking him, making requests, listening to him. All these things are forms of prayer. And we're going to see how Jesus explains this point. Uh, to always pray and without losing heart, but, but also, and especially maybe, we'll see why we should pray in this way. You ought always to pray and never lose heart. Why? Why should we do this? Why ought we do this? Okay, let's go ahead and see why. We'll read the parable, and then we'll come back to this, okay? He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Verse 2, he said... In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Okay? So do you get the the situation in this parable a little bit? There's two characters in the story, and these two characters are obviously meant to be held in contrast, right? They're they're very different from each other. One was a man, another a woman. One was quite powerful in society. The other is rather helpless. And one is clearly in the right, while the other is clearly in the wrong. Okay? Okay? First, we have this corrupt judge, and he is obviously a loser. He was a bad dude. Verse 2 says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. The New Living Translation says he was a godless man with great contempt for everyone. If you put together a list of qualities that you would want in a judge presiding over a court system, right? You probably put things down like 
justice and fairness and goodness and integrity. I mean, respect for their fellow man would obviously be mandatory. And if they feared God, all the better, right? That would be like the ideal judge in the court system. But the guy in this parable was basically everything a judge should never be. He was corrupt and, and selfish and disrespectful and ungodly and unfair and unjust. This is the last guy you would want taking a judge's bench. Worst judge ever. Okay, From verse 4, it's clear that he even knew how bad he was. He admitted it. It says... Afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. So he, he was a scoundrel, and he knew it. On the other side of the story is this anonymous widow. And it said in verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. This woman lived in the same city as the judge. She's in the same judicial district. And as a widow, we know a few things about her right away, right? We know that she was likely pretty poor. She likely lost her family source of income when her husband had died. And, and somewhere along the way, she had been particularly hurt by someone else. You see that because what she asked, she, it says she had an adversary, an enemy, okay? someone opposed to her. And this could have been someone who had taken advantage of her situation. Uh, perhaps they had exploited her or cheated her or physically hurt her. In Jesus' day especially, having a husband who could protect you from such abuse was very important. And she didn't have that. I mean, you could even theorize, this is a fictional story, so we don't, we, it's speculation is kind of pointless, but you could even speculate that this adversary had maybe killed her husband. Okay? We don't know. Whatever the case was, this woman had been hurt, and she was rather defenseless, and she, now she was likely destitute, and she was desperate for help. She longed for justice. Now, on that day, if someone wanted justice, you couldn't just call the cops and have them take care of things. Any kind of law enforcement was usually controlled by the local judges or magistrates in the area. So to get someone maybe investigated for a crime or fined or arrested, imprisoned, sentenced, you had to go to a judge and get them to take your case. And if they were fair and just, they would try to help you receive that justice. They would send out the soldiers. They would do what's needed to make sure there's, that justice happens. On the bad side of things... This system was often ripe for corruption, especially when it came to bribes. And so if you wanted anything actually done, you frequently had to bribe officials. You had to bribe the judge. So can you imagine the scene in this parable as the, woman, the widow approaches the judge seeking his help? Just imagine in your minds. Maybe she enters the judge's office and he's sitting at his desk doing paperwork. And she asked him, please, Your Honor, would you hear my case? See, there's this, there's this person who has hurt me terribly, and it's only right that they're held accountable for what they've done. But I need some help. I need some legal help. Would you please help me have justice here? 
That's essentially what she was asking for. Give me justice against my adversary. But then imagine the judge looking up with maybe a skeptical look on his face. He says, okay, what's in it for me? Obviously hinting that she could pay him off. The woman replies, oh, your honor, I can't afford to pay you anything. I mean, I can't even afford a lawyer. I mean, you see, my husband... And the judge sighs and says, Nothing I can do for you. Please show yourself out. But then the next day, the judge gets another visit from the same widow. Your Honor, please, I could desperately use your help. And she, But she gets the same cold response as before. Sorry, lady, I'm not interested in helping you. Please leave. The resilient woman wouldn't take no for an answer, though, and she came back the third day. And again, the judge wanted nothing to do with her. Say, unless you magically came up with something that I can get out of this, just leave and don't come back. Please stop coming. I'm not going to help you. But the widow didn't stop coming. She shows up the fourth day, the fifth day, and the sixth day. Every day, she persistently comes and makes the same plea for justice. And every day, the corrupt judge gets a little bit more annoyed. Right? Eventually, she wears him down. He tells her, I don't want to help you. Why won't you stop coming? Because I want justice. Will you ever stop asking? No. Fine. <laughs> right? I'll take your case and I'll, I'll make sure it happens. Verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He gave in, not because it was the honorable thing to do, not because it was what he should have been doing in the first place, but because he just wanted to get rid of her for good. She was driving him crazy with her badgering. And you can see this is a move totally motivated by frustration and self-interest, nothing more. Okay? And that's the parable. That's the end. So what's the point? Well, we remember, we already saw the point in verse 1. Skip back there. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So how does this story tell us that? Why should we pray and not lose heart? I think we're going to see three points from what Jesus says in the story and the verses that follow it as he explains it. Very simple points, but very crucial points to understand if we want a vital prayer life in our lives. First point is this. We should pray continually because God honors persistence. Okay? We should pray continually, all the time, always, because God honors persistence in his people. The judge says, I give up. I'll give you justice. Jesus then says this in verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. In other words, did you hear what he said? 
Listen again to what he said. Pay attention. Think about it. The judge says this, back in verse 4, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Continues, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Do you see the point there? We basically should be like the widow in this parable, persistently bringing our request to our judge. Now, you might hear this point and think, wait, wait, wait. If we represent the widow in this parable, then what does that make God? Right? How could we compare God to the bad guy here? And if this is the case, if this is what Jesus is getting at, does this mean that God can be worn down or beaten down by us? Does this mean that he can get annoyed to the point of just giving in to whatever we ask? No. That's not the point. Here's the thing. This parable does not intend to compare God to the evil judge. It is intended to contrast God and the evil judge. Unrighteous man, righteous God. Okay? This is... Jesus was basically saying this, okay? If an unjust judge, this evil man, would give in to sincere persistence, what do you think a just judge would do? What do you think? What do you think a God who loves righteousness and loves justice would do? What do you think a God who is completely righteous, completely just, would do in this situation? This is a God who loves to honor his people when they pursue him persistently. Remember the verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God loves to bless his people when they pursue him passionately, persistently. And if we keep praying, do we really think God won't answer? Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And then it's like Luke said, isn't God so much better than that? In his sovereignty, God cannot be annoyed or frustrated. In his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, God cannot be worn down. In his faithfulness, God will not just give in to our whims. Persistence and diligence and perseverance and endurance, these are good things in the Bible. And if an unjust judge would even honor them, then obviously God will. Thus, we should pray. We should always pray, continually, persistently. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit and on, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, of course, very famous, Pray without ceasing, without stopping, continually. By the way, these are not mere suggestions. These were commands. 
we talk a lot about how vitally important prayer is to our spiritual lives. And as you may know, it's one of the five core values we've set up and chosen here at Calvary to be all about. Worshiping God, making disciples, loving people, proclaiming truth, and praying continually. It's right there with the rest of them. And I just quoted some of the verses that led us to see this as so important, so vital in our lives. We've also seen as we've gone through Luke, Jesus' consistent example of making prayer a top priority in his life. But there may be no bigger disconnect between what we say is important and what we actually do than there is with prayer. Maybe some of us don't understand why it's so crucial, but we all claim that it is, right? Well, like to think it is, but when it comes right down to doing it, we sporadically or rarely or never pray. There are many possible reasons for a lack of prayer in our lives. No good excuses, though. Might be physically weak and actually fall asleep whenever you pray. No, I've done that. Might be lazy, not have much self-discipline in our lives. Might have some intellectual roadblocks and not understand prayer that well. Might, we might be far too busy and prayer just keeps getting shoved to the side, choked out of our schedule. We might be indifferent to our needs or others' needs. That's a heart problem. We might feel like we have, a, we have a false sense of independence and we feel like we don't need to pray, don't need God. We might have a lack of faith that God will ever answer us. Or we might be discouraged from praying and not seeing it make any difference. I think it's important that we actually identify what it is that inhibits our prayers. So we can, address, we can address it and we can attack that. Because prayer is far too important to let anything hinder it in our lives. One of my friends was able to pose a question to pastor and author Tim Keller this week on Twitter. And uh, he just let a whole bunch of people ask him question after question. One of my friends got in and asked him, she asked him this. What's one piece of advice that you would tell your younger self... Or something that you wished you knew then that you know now about the Lord? You know what his answer was? Tim Keller says this. I would tell him, tell my younger self, that prayer is way more important than he thinks. I would tell him that prayer is way more important than he thinks. Indeed. Prayer is utterly important. And we ought to pray Always and never lose heart. It's not until we see how important it is, I think we'll do anything about it. I mean, we have these issues. We won't address them until we understand just how crucial it is. I'll just say this. Without prayer, your spiritual life will die. Okay? Without prayer, our church will die. Because we need God. We need God. Every day. The question is, 
Are we those who actually, like this passage says, cry to God day and night? Look in verse 7. It says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Now, praying three times a day at meals is fine. But you need God more than three times a day. I need God way more than three times a day. Do you pray when you get up? Pray when you go to bed? You pray when you're traveling, maybe in the car or on the bus, walking around. You pray when you're talking with others, maybe praying for them. You pray when you're working, you're watching the news, you see the tragedies in our world. You pray when you're reading your email, or you're on Facebook. You pray when you're on your own, your family, your friends your church, maybe your small group. Do you go to prayer meetings? Do you teach your children the importance of prayer? We don't need to be consciously praying to God every single second. That's not what this is saying to do. Okay, But every single second, we should be conscious of God's presence in our lives. And we should be regularly and repeatedly, as often as we can, as often as we need to be, conversing with him, communing with him. I once heard someone say that praying continually, this command, pray without ceasing, it's like having a program open on your computer. Okay, So a program that runs as soon as the computer boots up, and it just runs in the background all day. Hopefully not only in the background, though. But it's a program that's vital to the working of the machine. And a program that you use all the time, often, and whatever you're doing, you just keep referring back to it. You can always click the program on the taskbar and pop it up, and it's there whenever you need. And it affects everything else you do on the computer. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's a pretty good one, I think. Right? You can't always be explicitly praying, but you can always be in a state of prayer. The program can always be running persistently. And God honors our persistence in prayer. Now, we say that we should be like the widow, persistently bringing our requests to God. And then we might start to think, does this mean that we should try to annoy God? With our request? That we should beg him and nag him and badger him or or pester him until he does something? You know the P-U-S-H, push, pray until something happens? (laughs) Is that what we should do? Like, just beg him all the time? The answer is no, but not because we shouldn't pray repeatedly and frequently. It's because, as we already established, God cannot be annoyed or frustrated with our requests. Okay? We as humans, we get annoyed because we can't stay completely patient. That's when we get frustrated. We can't stay patient. But we know that God has perfect patience. And we can't change how God feels. We can't annoy him. Instead, we see time and time again in Scripture that God welcomes our prayers. He wants us to pray. Even if they would be annoying to a fellow human, God wants to hear them. And this speaks to another aspect of God's character. 
which is his, his incredible love for us. This can be seen in this passage as well. And here's the, here's the second point for today. That we should pray without ever giving up because God loves his people. We should pray without ever giving up because God loves and cares deeply for his people. Take a look again, another look at the rhetorical questions that Jesus asked in verse 7. He said, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? See, see God is everything that the unjust judge wasn't. God is just and righteous and wise. But much more than simple, just cold legality, God is also love. Cast all your cares or all your anxieties on God. Why? Because he cares for you. You notice the little phrase in verse 7, his elect says, will, God, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? This refers to the biblical doctrine of election, in which God graciously chooses a people for himself to be saved. And now, some people hear God's election and they get uncomfortable, right? Now, to put it another way, this is like God, before there was time, looked forward into the future, and he saw that all humanity would be running full bore towards hell. This is what we're doing as a human race. He saw this, and he could have justly let us just keep running. Could have just justly let us all perish. But in his love, he didn't. Instead, in his grace, he chose one person after another and decided, I choose to set my loving affection on you. I choose to turn your heart towards me. That's grace. Ephesians 1, 3-6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, that's his election, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's beautiful. God's election is only unfair in that it saves people who should be damned. That's the only unfair thing about it. In the Bible, God's election is seen constantly as a beautiful thing. It is a sign of God's unmerited favor and love towards those who believe. It should be an amazing comfort for us that we are known and loved by the God of the universe. God's election is why we are saved at all. It's one of the main reasons that the Bible says we should praise him. And Luke 18 tells us that this is why we should pray. 
because we're part of the elect. Don't need to worry, though, about whether or not you're part of the elect. You you just need to decide what you believe about Jesus and how you respond to him. That's your decision, and that will expose whether or not you are or have been elected by God. God's elect will trust in Jesus to save them from sin and hell, and they will be saved, guaranteed. There's no exceptions. Okay? Well, those who reject Jesus will prove to be non-elect and will stay in their sins. You also don't need to worry about whether or not God loves you, no matter who you are. You only need to look to the cross to see if God's love demonstrated to the full extent. He died to take away your sins. He died for you. If only you'll believe him and follow him. The cross is simultaneously the greatest display of God's justice against sin and his love for sinners. If you you doubt that God will bring justice to this, this earth... Look at the cross and see the justice he poured out on his own son. If you doubt that God cares about you or loves you, look to the cross. If we doubt that he'll listen to our prayers, if we doubt his love for us. And if we doubt his love for us, then we do not grasp the cross. Just imagine this verse superimposed over a picture of Calvary, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? God's love demands a response from us. We must love him in return. Not forced, but willingly. And if you are willing to leave your sin behind and follow Jesus with your life today, then you will be saved forever because of God's incredible love for you. From eternity past. should blow our minds. And if we do this, we will receive a loving Savior who died and rose again for you and lives today, interceding for you in heaven. You will receive the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to help you grow. And you will receive a gracious Father in heaven who listens to your prayers. You receive God. So I plead with you. Come to him today. Run to him. Know the riches of his love. This is my my persistent prayer for you every week. That you will be saved by God's mercy and that all of us will grow in his grace. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Now some might ask here, well, if God truly loves us, why would he delay at all? Why wouldn't he always answer prayer right away? 
And the answers, the reasons could be many. Maybe we're praying selfishly, not according to God's will. Maybe God knows what we need better than we do. Actually, that's not a maybe. Maybe God wants to teach us something in the meantime, to grow us. Whatever the case, God has his reasons for delaying, or sometimes even denying our requests. And that's not just a pat pat answer to satisfy you either. That's the truth. God is all-wise, and he has his reasons. The question is, Will we trust him? Will we trust him? That he knows what he's doing. That God loves us, gives us the strong, one of the strongest reasons we should trust him and never lose hope. No matter what happens in our lives, we have a final court of appeal. Now granted, injustice abounds in our world. We see it every day. All evil often seems to get its way. Sin and sickness and heartache and wars and death and destruction just run rampant in our world. And Philip Ryken says this, Sometimes we have no recourse but to accept injustice, no matter how much we rage against it. There is always something else we can do, however, and that is to pray. We have a mighty judge who has promised to do what is right. In the end, he will render perfect justice in the total universe. He will straighten out every distressing situation that no one else could ever make right, and he will do it on the side of justice. He'll do it on the side of his beloved elect taking up their cause. This is why we should never lose heart. Like verse 1 says, this parable, we got always to pray and not lose heart. This is why we should never give up. Many of the situations in our lives are hard. Some of them are extremely difficult. What, what should you do? What should you do in your life when you get that bad news from the doctor? Should pray. Keep praying and never give up. What should you do in your life when money is tight, when the expenses are high, maybe when you're out of work? You should pray, keep praying, and never give up. What should you do when one of your kids walks away from the Lord? You should pray. Keep praying and never give up. What should you do in the face of so many of this life's pains? Maybe infertility. Maybe heartache. Relationship is broken. Maybe in the face of mockery or death. Suicide. War. You should pray. Keep praying and never give up. She do when life beats us up and leaves us out to dry. We should pray on. Keep praying. Pray on. Because God 
is just. Because God is wise. Because God is loving. Because God is faithful. The core issue here really is whether we believe these things to be true about our God. The heart issue is an issue of faith. I know this because Jesus is going to make this point at the very end of this passage. This wasn't mentioned back in verse 1 when Luke gave us the meaning of the parable. But the final point we're going to see was most definitely implied throughout the passage. Because if we don't pray with faith, we will never pray with persistence. And here's the point. We should pray with faith because God really does answer prayer. Okay? We should pray with faith because God really does faithfully answer prayer. We see this in the reassurance that Jesus gives in verse 8. Look once more, verse 8. He says, I tell you, God will give justice to his elect speedily. So will he delay long over them? I tell you, he won't. He will give justice to them speedily. And this is not a guarantee that everything will go as you hope or pray it does in life. But it is a promise that God will give his loved ones justice and vindication. If not today, if not in a month, if not in a year, if not in a decade, one day he will. The natural question is then, so so what about when God doesn't seem to answer our prayer? We've all been there, right? Again, Jesus never intended this to mean our lives will be easy or pain-free. He does not say that prayer is a guarantee to fix all of life's problems. We have to admit, sometimes there is a delay. This passage admits as much. Sometimes the delay seems extra long or even indefinite. And sometimes it seems as though God won't answer our prayers at all. But think about it. This is precisely why this parable was told in the first place. Right? To always pray and never lose heart, even when our prayers go unanswered. That's the whole point. Even when they go unanswered. These are the seasons that we most need to cling to our faith. That God will not delay any longer than necessary. His timing is perfect. And he will answer in the best and wisest possible way according to his love and his glory. What brings him the most glory in the end? Read verse 8. I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Which relates back to our previous passage, right? When Jesus talked about his return to earth. And as we wait for him over the centuries, Jesus wanted us to maintain our faith. Faith that he will do what is right. Faith that his kingdom will come. Faith that he will save those he loves. Faith that he hears our prayers. 
Philip Reichen again says this, the real question is not whether God will do what he has promised to do, but whether we will trust him to do it. That's what it all boils down to. The real question is not whether God will do what he has promised to do, but whether we will trust him to do it. The preacher Haddon Robinson tells a story about he and his children. And he says, when our children were small, we played a game. I'd take some coins in my fist. Then they'd sit on my lap and work to get my fingers open. According to the international rules of finger opening, once the finger was open, it couldn't be closed again. Right? They would work at it until they got the pennies in my hand. They would jump down and run away, filled with glee and delight. Just kids. Just a game. Then he makes this powerful point. He says, sometimes when we come to God, we come for the pennies in his hand. Lord, I need a passing grade. Help me to study. Lord, I need a job. Lord, my mother is ill. We reach for the pennies, and when God grants the request, we push the hand away. More important than the pennies in God's hand is the hand of God himself. That's what prayer is about. When you go to God in prayer, the name that should come easily to your lips is Father. Father. What prayer is all about What prayer is all about is not getting healthy or getting protected or getting things. What prayer is all about is getting God himself. We need him. And God loves to answer when we pray for more of him. So let us pray and keep on praying and never give up. Never lose hope, and let us find the hand of our loving Heavenly Father there. Father, we do pray this morning. We pray for more than the pennies in your hands. We pray for you. We want you. We want your name to be honored, your name to be glorified in our lives, in the lives of those we love, in the church, in Ottawa. We want you. Please give us more of you. Make us a people of prayer. Make us wholly devoted to this cause until you return. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.